0: Welcome to Author in Your Classroom. My name is Helen Mully, and the author and illustrator joining you in your classroom or wherever you're listening for this episode is the terrifically talented Lauren Child. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Thank you. Now, Lauren, our listeners will be very familiar with your book's I'm sure. And especially they'll be familiar with your characters from Charlie and his little sister Lola, Clarice Bean and her family and friends, the undercover agent and code breaker Ruby Redfort. not to mention all the other one-off creations of, of which I think my favourite is the pesky rat who's just lovely. Where do all these characters start? Where do they come
1: from? They come from all kinds of places, actually. Clarice Bean was my first book, not the very first book that I tried to write because I had many, many failures along the way and books that never became books. But Clarice Bean really comes from, I think, my growing up and experiences of that. So she isn't me, I wish I was her, but she's sort of an amalgam of all these different memories or different stories anecdotes and things that my friends told me about their growing up Charlie and Lola are, are something else again they're made up of sort of again experiences of being a child and all that time that you spent messing about with your siblings and uh I had two sisters. And so all the fighting and the arguing and the giggling and the inventing imaginary games, that all comes from from those sort of memories.
0: Yes. And they have a lovely relationship, don't they, Charlie and Lola, just, despite her irritating qualities at times. There's also there's just this really deep love between them, which which is lovely. And as as well as creating your own characters though, you've also come up with artwork for some other people's characters. So you have reimagined Mary Poppins, Anna Green Gables, who's one of my absolute, absolute favourites, and of course Pippi Longstocking. Now these are characters that have been around for a long time. And Pippi Longstocking, she's having her what, her 75th birthday this year. And they've been in films and on TV. How do you go about coming up with your own vision of such familiar characters?
1: I think with Pippi, it was quite easy because I'd sort of absorbed her into my own world. Because I, I remember, I think I must have read those books when I was about eight or nine. And I felt like I was, I'd fallen into her life in a a way. So I imagined myself in her life. And I think it made me feel very Scandinavian. Funnily enough, you know, (laughs) I sort of absorbed Sweden and everything um, into my world, which seemed very boring in comparison to hers. So It was as if she was my character. By the time I was asked to write her, I felt a real understanding of who she was. Yes, And so I knew exactly how I wanted to illustrate her. And I think that's the lovely thing about books, that one has to remember if you write books that they become somebody else's story and the story belongs to them and you no longer own it and you no longer dictate how someone might imagine the world. It's their world. And so when it came to illustrating Mary Poppins as well I, and The Secret Garden,
0: I felt the same because
1: they were my childhood worlds.
0: Is that, is that especially hard for you because you you are an author as as well as an illustrator. So when your books go out there, when other people have, have different visions of the characters that, that you've created, do you find that exciting or do you find it tricky?
1: I find it exciting because I think we take what we need from stories and that's what stories are all about and how you react to it whether you see it as a dark story as some people found my but Clarice Bean Don't Look Now some people found that a very very sad story some people found it a very funny story um, some people found it very comforting and and we take what we need at the time and you might read it 10 years later and take something else from it. I think that's why they can be so important to people, why books are so important to people, because they nourish us in a way that perhaps nothing else can.
0: Yes, absolutely. And these books, especially these books that you go back to time and time again. So I must have read Anne of Green Gables a dozen times since I was nine or 10 or whatever. And I suspect that each time she looked a little bit different to me and she felt a little bit different to me so I moved from from looking at her as this this grown-up girl who was older than me to now I do not know she could be my daughter maybe and it's, it's it's interesting how that changes over time isn't it it really is and and also how you I
1: think it's like when I look at Pippi again and, and having to illustrate the book I think it's something like 10 years on from when I did the first Pippi book I would probably have illustrated her differently
0: now because I'm different. So that's interesting. It is. That's the magic of books, really, isn't it? Are there any other classic characters that you'd quite like to have a go at at reimagining? Or maybe you even secretly have, even though they haven't ended up in a book yet?
1: Yeah, I think there are a lot. I mean, Anne of Green Gables would be one. I've only ever done the the jackets in a long time ago. But yeah, those sort of books. Um, she's such um, a rich character that I would love to do those. I'd, I'd really like to illustrate Paddington, for example, but that's been done many, many times. So often you don't get the chance to do books which have been illustrated a great deal. And there are books that are out of copyright. So that means anyone is allowed to to publish them. And that makes it very hard to actually um, take on those books because there's no single publisher for them. So they often don't make sense, you know, to illustrate. But I mean, sorry, it's gone out of my mind, but I have a sort of list of things I'd really, really love to illustrate. Yeah.
0: Do you also have a cast of your own characters in your head, just hopping around, waiting to come out and find what book they live in?
1: Yes, that is such a good question. No one's ever asked me that before, but that's very much how I work. So I write stories over years, over decades. I was first published about 21 years ago, but obviously started a long time before then. And I have all these little fragments of stories, some of them almost finished, some of them in their early stages. And I gradually, gradually get to them some of them I look at and think, "Oh my goodness, no, no! What was what were you thinking of?" But <laughs> but many I I look at like like with my my book, The Goodie, which has only just been published, but actually was written in two thousand and three, and then over the years I kept returning to it and returning to it, and it would change and it would change into something else, and then something else, and then finally I'd find the story in it. So. You know, Hubert Horatio is a character very much like that for me. <laughs> well, he was a really a real aspirational character. And he again comes from my childhood watching very glamorous films and wishing I could just fall into the cinema screen and be him, be a character like that. So I wrote somebody who I would probably like to have been myself.
0: <laughs> That's brilliant going back to pippi longstocking as i said I, I, it is her birthday this year and because of that there is a, a beautiful new edition of pippi longstocking goes aboard which you have illustrated it will be great it would be a real treat if you could read a little bit of that for us so i'm just going to pause the recording for a moment or two so you can find the right page i know you've got your copy of the book there i've got my copy of the book here and we'll be back to hear that in just a moment. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with our guest for this episode, Lauren Child. Lauren, you're going to read a little for us now from Pippi Longstocking Goes Aboard by Astrid Lindgren, now illustrated by you. Um, I wonder if before you start, you could just explain a little bit about who Pippi is, just in case any of our listeners haven't met her yet.
1: Yes, well, Pippi is a nine year old Swedish girl who lives on her own. We know very little about her backstory other than her mother died when she was little, and her father has gone off to sort of be a pirate and sail sail the seas or or maybe not a pirate, but that sort of character where he's always going off looking for treasure and things, and he's left her with a chest full of gold coins, so she never need worry about that side of looking after herself. But she never fear anything actually because she's the strongest person you'll ever meet. She can lift her own horse and she does so every day, lifting lifting the horse onto onto her little porch of her house. And she has a monkey called Mr Nelson Mr Nielsen in some books for um, company. And she becomes very good friends with the two children, Tommy and Annika, who live next door, who are just amazed by <laughs> their new neighbour and so happy to have her there that they they sort of rarely return home for, for dinner or anything. They run straight out of the house and go to Pippi's every day. And I think they sort of stand in for the reader. They stand in for us, really. Definitely. Um, Annika and Tommy are, are like us. But yeah, that's who she is. Brilliant. And the, and the bit I was asked to read is from a chapter about going to the market with Pippi. So Annika and Tommy are going to the market with Pippi and going anywhere with Pippi is always an event. (laughs) So this, this is just one tiny scene from a day out with Pippi. Tommy and Annika thought everything was delightful on market day. It was delightful being jostled by the crowds in the streets and going from one stall to another in the square looking at all the things on display. Pippi bought a red silk handkerchief for Annika as a market day gift and Tommy got a cap, the kind he had always wanted, but his mum didn't want him to have. From another stall, Pippi brought two bell shapes made of glass and crammed with small pink and white sweets. Oh, Pippi, you're so kind, said Annika, clutching her glass bell. Oh, yes, delightful, said Pippi, hitching up her dress again. A stream of people were making its way towards the toll gates. Pippi, Tommy, and Annika followed it. What a hullabaloo! Tommy said. He was ecstatic. The barrel organ was playing, the carousel was going round, people were shouting and laughing. Dart throwing and crockery smashing was in full swing. People were crowding round the shooting ranges, anxious to show their skill at hitting the bull's eye. I'd like to have a closer look at that, said Pippi and she pulled Tommy and Annika over to one of the shooting ranges. At that precise moment, there was no one waiting at this particular shooting range, and the woman who handed out the rifles and took the money looked pretty fed up. Three little kids were not what she would call customers. She took absolutely no notice of them. Pippi studied the target with interest. It was made of cardboard and looked like a large figure of a man in a blue coat with a face as round as a ball. Right in the middle of the face was a red nose. That was the bullseye where you had to aim. If you weren't lucky enough to hit the nose, you had to try and hit somewhere close to it, at least. Shots that didn't hit the face counted as misses. Eventually, the woman grew tired of the children standing there. She wanted customers who would spend money to shoot. Are you still hanging around? she said irritably. Nope, we're sitting in the town square cracking nuts, Pippi replied. "'What are you gawking at?' said the lady, even more irritably. "'Are you waiting for someone to come and start shooting?' "'Nope, we're waiting for you to start turning somersaults,' said Pippi. "'But just then a customer did turn up, a fine gentleman, "'with a gold watch and a chain across his stomach. "'He picked up a rifle and weighed it in his hand. "'Perhaps I'll shoot a few rounds, just to show you how it's done,' he said. "'He looked about him to see if he had an audience.' But there was no one there apart from Pippi, Tommy and Annika. "'Watch this, kids,' he said. "'You will now have your first demonstration in the art of hitting a target. "'This is how you do it.' He raised the rifle to his cheek, and the first shot rang out. "'Missed.' Then the second shot. "'Missed again.' The third and the fourth. "'Missed. Missed.' The fifth shot hit the cardboard man on the chin." Useless rifle, said the fine gentleman angrily and threw down the weapon. Pippi picked it up and loaded it. Oh, how clever you are, sir, she said. Next time I'll do it exactly the way you showed us and not like this. Bam, 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 bam. Five shots hit the cardboard man slap in the middle of his nose. Pippi handed the rifle range lady a gold coin and walked away. <laughs>
0: Oh, how can anyone not love Pippi Longstocking? She's so brilliant. How she gets away with being so sarcastic with this sort of mock innocence she has, or or is it real innocence? I don't know. Who knows? But ultimately, the grown-ups do not stand a chance around her. They they are just completely out of their depth with her. I mean, how much fun is that to to draw? Oh yeah, no, she's
1: she's wonderful to draw. And because she's a character who larger than life, you know, she, she, <laughs> she's such a big force of energy and, and also a force for good. That's what I really like about her. She's not just, she's not wantingly, wantingly mischievous or anything. She's not out to cause people trouble. She just is very much her own person. And so when I'm illustrating her, I'm always trying to get that feeling that she's almost too big to be contained on the pages of the book. So you often see her disappearing and you'll just see her legs or her plaits or her arms or something. And that's what I love about it is that you have to keep finding inventive ways to show her personality in the illustration. So it's not about showing what she's doing so much as who she is.
0: Yes, her spirit sort of dances across the the pages. Lauren, I did want to ask you about the idea of creativity more generally. Now, you were Children's Laureate from 2017 to 2019 when you handed the role over to its current holder, Cressida Cowell, who, by the way, was a guest on our podcast just a couple of episodes back. And while you were a Laureate, I know that you focus quite strongly on this, this idea of, of creativity why was that so important to you? Because I think the idea
1: um, that there's, there's a person who is a creative person yeah. as opposed to someone who isn't a creative person is, is quite a divisive thing in that it can make some children feel perhaps they haven't been blessed with this gift. Yes. And therefore they will never be a writer, they will never be an artist, a musician, or anything else that, under that banner of creative. And that's just not true. We all are. We all all have potential to invent and problem solve and create. But we all need time to be able to do that. And you need practice to be able to do that. And so I always tell them about my early writing as a child. And uh, even as a a young person, if you looked at, at my writing back then, you would never imagine I would become a writer or be in any way successful at it. But it all took a lot of work and a lot of exploring. Drawing is the same that I was always quite good at drawing, but it didn't make me a great illustrator. You have to learn how to design a picture on a page. You have to learn to take words and turn them into image. That all takes time. And so I wanted to perhaps talk about ways actually accessing that for yourself. And, and I do it by looking. So when I walk along, I, I often look down at the road uh, or at the pavement and the, um, the amount of incredible things you see just <laughs> either dropped or discarded or, you know, beautiful things the usual beautiful things like leaves or imprints from leaves that you see, but you might find extraordinary things. I mean, I, I would regularly walk to work and, you know, one day I would find a wig on the street or a um, once a whole mannequin leg. I mean, it's extraordinary. And and when you see things, you'll notice if you pay attention that a little thought goes through your head that could be the beginnings of an idea because you start thinking, what, what on earth is that doing? Or who did that belong to? And so we're always making connections with the everyday and looking up at buildings, the things that you see when you actually bother to look. And so that's why I talked about this idea of staring into space. So even if you're not going anywhere, particularly relevant now, you can look out of your window and you see the most incredible things. But I get ideas also from just staring out of the window, that, that so-called wasted time of actually not really thinking or, or seeming to notice anything particular. You're not frantically writing something down, if that will make a great story. You're letting thoughts and ideas collide in your head. So t- the tiniest fragments are joining without you really realising that. And so often people say they have their best ideas when they're taking a bath or traveling on a train or something like that, because it's time where you're not actually doing anything else. And if you can bear to put away your phone or your tablet or any of your other distractions, sometimes even reading a book, sometimes if you just sit with your thoughts, that's when you will have these phenomenal ideas or solve a problem yeah. or have an, or invent something. And I really wanted to share that with children because I think it's a very good time anyway to just sit with your thoughts sometimes.
0: Yes. And it's not always something that's easy to do in a classroom, for example. I, I'm sure everyone listening has had those moments where they've drifted off when they're supposed to be concentrating on their their maths or whatever else it is that's happening in in the classroom and you can understand that there's there's a lot to do at school and there's and there's a lot to learn but when when you were laureate one one of the things that you seemed to be saying was wouldn't it be good if in the classroom we could just make some time to just sit and let our thoughts wander well yes and
1: and actually if we use even that maybe 15 minutes walking to school or wherever you can find the shortest amount of time. It doesn't have to be a a long time, but you actually use it for yourself and you think you stay in the present and you actually really observe things because it's like the House of Illustration, uh, which is Quentin Blake's. Um, Centre for Illustration now, where they run all these lovely programmes for school children, where they teach them illustration, really, which is about observing things, really properly observing things. Now, those classes are really beneficial, because even if you've got no aspirations to become an artist or an illustrator, what they do teach you is how to properly look. So if you go out into your community, and you're, for instance, drawing scenes in your local street market. So it's a a vegetable market or a market where they're selling, you know, socks and underwear and all those sort of things. And that you draw those people, the people actually serving you and pinning things up on their store. You begin to understand what that job might be like. You put yourself into somebody else's shoes. You realize how how it feels when it's a really cold day and, and you're having to peg things up and how difficult that is you start noticing all the litter on the street and does that bother you? you you start to interact with it and you actually become not only an observer of your community but part of your community and you start to feel you know how do I you start to think about that how do I feel about this do I like it when it's like this or do I find you know that more attractive than that and you're all the time when you're illustrating thinking those thoughts and you're, you're almost getting into the pose of the person that you're drawing as well. So you're sort of feeling what it might be like to be them. And I think that's why those things staying in your body and not trying to escape all the time into other devices is very, very useful for us, not just for everybody else. It's, yes. it's not put away your tablets and things because you should be doing something more useful. Those things are all really good. It's just you need balance You need to understand your immediate world as well as escape into another. And so it's not just about doing that in the classroom. I suppose what I was trying to say is I would never be asked to write a story in 30 minutes or even an hour during my homework. Never would be able to do that. And I always get very, very wriggly and sort of uncomfortable if someone says, could you could you just give us a few lines for a story right now, Lauren? I, I've just told you it might take me ten years to write a story. I don't have to do what children have to do. <laughs> so I just want them to know that, that I understand how difficult it is.
0: Yes, it is. And and what you're saying is is so helpful as well. The idea that they could, if they've got 30 minutes to write a story, they could just spend the first couple of minutes letting their mind go somewhere and coming up with some with some noticings and then and then turning them into something else. I think that's really useful. Um Ironically, now we're talking about time and how important it is, we're starting to run out of it. But I did just want to remind all the teachers and parents listening that we do put together a special free resources pack to go with every episode of Author in Your Classroom. So children can take what they hear and they can use it to produce their own truly creative writing. You can download the packs from plazoom.com and details are in the episode notes. Lauren, there are just a couple more things that I'd love to ask you about before we finish. So if it's okay, I'm just going to pause the recording once more and then we'll come back to wrap up. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with the fabulous author, illustrator and former Children's Laureate, Lauren Child. Lauren there's such variety in what you do one minute it could be a picture book the next it could be a a chapter book or illustrations for someone else what's on the horizon for you at the moment? At the moment I'm
1: I've been really sort of considering what what it is I would like to do next so there I am writing a new Clarice Bean book and it's got her voice and everything but it's a different kind of book because it's both a sort of short novel, about 20,000 words, but it's very, very illustrated because I wanted to to do another book like that. So Lovely. to really kind of push at what a book is. And then I'm thinking about doing something based around creativity and how I feel about
0: it. So I'm sort of, lots of different ideas. <laughs> lots to look forward to, that's fantastic. And, and now we really are almost at the end of our time together. But while I've still got you, there's just one more thing I wanted to ask you about this uh, this idea of creativity that we were talking about earlier and the idea that there are lots of ideas out there and, and all of us can, can grab hold of them if we just take the time t- to notice what's around us. But it's all very well saying that we can grab hold of lots of ideas. How do you know when you've got a good one?
1: Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think this is where it's so important to keep trying things because you don't get there immediately. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many ideas I've had in lots of different fields, not just writing or illustrating that have not gone so well, or I thought were good. And then when it it came to trying to get them to work, they didn't quite work. You have to have that. You have to have that, you know, for want of another word, failures, because it makes you see when things are good. And I only knew that Clarice Bean was a good piece of work when I'd been through all of those previous ideas that really weren't very good. And so it's, it's just don't punish yourself, you know, and be so critical of yourself when things aren't going well. That's a necessary step to get to the place where you understand when an idea is good. And you can trust yourself because sometimes people tell you something's good, but you actually need to feel it's good to really know. And you only know that by, by trying over and over.
0: Absolutely. That is really, really good advice. Lauren, thank you so much. And thank you so much for being our guest for this episode. It's been a real joy talking to you. So yeah, that's it for this episode. To all our listeners, thank you for being here. We'll be back again soon for another episode of Author in Your Classroom. See you then. Goodbye, Lauren. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Goodbye. Water in Your Classroom is brought to you by Plazoom, where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATs revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com, where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible, so please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. Let us help you make it happen. With author in your classroom and plazoom.